Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, let's pray and then uh, we'll look in God's word. Father, we want to thank you that you are with us. And Lord, we don't want to take for granted your presence. God, we want to covet it. Lord, we're aware we could be in many, many places today. And they're called churches, but your presence isn't there. We could go to a myriad of places that sing songs but your presence isn't there. Father, we thank you. We could also go to many other places and your presence is there. But we do thank you that your presence is with us. And it's a mark and it's a sign of of the church. It's a mark and the sign of your pleasure over your people, your favour over your people. So I pray this morning you would continue to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing with our series in the Beatitudes. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn up Matthew 5. Um, I want to thank those who did my PowerPoint today. Um, it was meant to be me, and somehow it, it didn't happen. Well, to be honest, no, it did happen. I didn't manage to... Uh, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. There's a story behind it, but I did actually do it. And uh, this week, we've reached the fifth Beatitude... Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we've talked about the Beatitudes as being, um, this idea of being blessed is, is a state of being that we have with God. Uh, the idea of these characteristics are things that God does in us. They're not just sort of external uh, things for us. And today we come to the first Beatitude, which, which really looks out. All the others are more inward looking. This one looks out. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I wanted to take uh, just a moment right up front to to make a point, which I think is quite important, but sometimes we forget. God is merciful. God is merciful. And often we don't realise that God is rich in mercy. What does it mean for God to be rich in mercy? It means that we are not rewarded for what our sins deserve, which is death. That's what our sins deserve. That's what we all deserve because sin separates us from God and nothing we can do can change that. But rather, he gives us what we don't deserve and that is pardon and forgiveness. You and I deserve death. But God, who is rich in mercy, comes to us. Now, our understanding of mercy is actually quite important because it can affect so much of what you think about God. Most people will say that God is merciful, but they don't really believe God is merciful. Yeah? Because they don't really believe that we deserve death, justice. Yeah? Because when we read the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament you see lots of stories and accounts where God seems to wipe people out. They just seem to be random. People seem to die in, like, in like large numbers. And uh, some people, even Christians, struggle with that. They struggle with the fact that the Bible seems to record, you know, and God said to his people, go ye to the Amalekites and wipe them out. You think, why does he do that? That doesn't sound very merciful. That doesn't sound very loving. 
And yet, actually, if you understood this, they all deserved to be wiped out. Not just the Amalekites. The Israelites also deserved to be wiped out. But God, who is rich in mercy, chose some. He didn't choose them because they were particularly special. There was nothing special about that. God actually says in the Old Testament, he reminds Israel, just remember, I didn't choose you because you were any better than anyone else. Just remember that. He doesn't choose us because we are better than other people. He chooses us because he is merciful and he is gracious. And so we must understand that so that we don't, we don't find ourselves coming to hurdles that aren't really there. We are separated from God because of our sin. And the reason we're separated is because he's holy. But because he is also merciful, we can come close. Because he's merciful. Psalm 25 says this. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. So he's always been merciful. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Remember, those are Old Testament scriptures. It's not a New Testament value that God suddenly shown himself to be merciful. He has always been merciful. Micah 7, 18, 18 says this. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God is merciful, and we need to understand that. And so when we come to the fifth beatitude, we come to a very, very clear characteristic of God that he is merciful. I mean, he says, I will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. And as I said right at the beginning, this marks a bit of a crossroads. This is a bit of a change. All the other beatitudes were sort of a bit more inward looking. Suddenly there's a beatitude that looks out. And it comes after that beatitude that we looked at last week. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who show themselves to be desperate for God above all other things. Those of us who two weeks ago when, when, when Les spoke and he talked about being an authentic Christian and all of us came to the front because when he said, who wants to be an authentic Christian, it was really difficult not to respond to that. Who wants to be authentic? Well, of course I want to be authentic. Of course I want to be real. So we all came to the front and it made me think, in fact, I was asked the question later that week, so what does it mean for us to be authentic? Because we've all responded to be, wanting to be authentic, but what does that mean for us? And last week, I felt was helpful, being an authentic Christian is to be a Christian who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. That's, that's what it means to be authentic. But you know what God does? When we say, God, we want to be among those who hunger and thirst. We want to be among those who will give you everything. He tests that. And he tests that with this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is the reality. The reality of my desire to hunger after God, the reality of my desire to be authentic as a Christian is demonstrated in how much mercy I show. Do I show people mercy? Do I show my brother or my sister mercy when they've hurt, angered, annoyed, or let me down? Which way do I go? 
How much am I desperate for godliness that I will overcome all of those hurts and pains in order to continue to pursue it? Or at what point do I go, yeah, I really want to be hungry and thirsty for God, but I can't do that. You can't expect me to change there, really? There's too many things going on. You don't know the history. You see, the Bible's really interesting because there's this theology. It's not there written, but it is there. There's a theology of self-interest in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. There's a theology of self-interest. And it comes up on many, many occasions, and this is one of them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Hmm. How do I receive mercy? I show it. That's in my, it's in my interest to be merciful, because if I am merciful, I will receive mercy. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Forgive us, Father, as we forgive others, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us as we forgive. Oh, there's a bit of injury. If I forgive, I will be forgiven. If I comfort, I will be comforted. If I give, I will receive. There's a theology of self-interest, that the, but it's full of it. God says to us, if you do this, I will do that. If you do this, I will do that. Now, our salvation, we need to understand, is not conditional. But do you know what? Our experience of God can be totally conditional. Totally conditional. How I experience God is totally conditioned by how I respond to what he does. So if you are not merciful, don't expect mercy. If you're not merciful to people, if, you're not, if you can't extend grace to people, don't necessarily think you will receive grace. There's this theology of self-interest. And one of the best examples of it is in the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'm just going to read it to you, Matthew 18. I'm just going to read you this and make a couple of comments on it. Matthew 18, verse 21 says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. It seems reasonable. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Do you know what that is? That's justice. This man couldn't pay what he owed, and therefore the king said, okay, I'm going to sell you to repay the debt. That's just. That's justice. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, and he cancelled the debt and let him go. So he doesn't just say, okay, we'll come to some terms. He cancels the debt and he lets him go. That's grace. He didn't deserve that. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him about 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let me just remind you that Jesus speaking to his disciples after Peter asks him, how, much, how many times should we forgive our brother? That's quite a powerful statement. See, what you find with this man was he had been given mercy, but he didn't receive it. He didn't receive it in his heart. Because if you receive mercy in your heart, you will be able to give mercy. He doesn't receive mercy, he's given it, but he doesn't actually receive it, and as a result, he's unable to show it himself. He's unable to do that. And although it doesn't say it specifically, the mercy that he was given was actually conditional. It was conditional on the fact that he would show mercy. Yeah? So in his heart, he might have received mercy. He begs his master and he thinks, oh my goodness, I got away with that. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, but I begged and, and he, he let me go. But he doesn't connect that to, oh my goodness, I've received mercy. How do I then show mercy? He doesn't connect those two things. And therefore, when he goes out, he operates in a way that is completely hypocritical. And it's interesting, isn't it? He is completely unaware that his actions are hypocritical. He doesn't realise that what he's done doesn't make any sense. And the other people are going, really? We've just heard that the master let you off what would be millions of pounds, a sum that you can't pay, and you've come out of that and you've gone to this guy and you've banged him up for the hundred quid? Really? He doesn't see it. Because sometimes we can be blind to our own sin. That's why it's really helpful to have other people around and it's really helpful to be open to them because you can be blind to your own sin. This guy was blind to his own hypocrisy. On the one hand, he receives mercy, but he is unable to give mercy. Therefore, the mercy that had been offered to him is taken away. We don't always see what we're really like. And that's why at times we need to be able to listen to other people when they speak to us. Why we need others who speak the truth in love. Because you don't really know what you're like. You don't know what it looks like. Like this man. Because this sounds really terrible, and yet, to be honest, we probably do this. It's probably not as stark you know, someone owed, I was let off a debt and I go, and, but we do this. We receive mercy, but we don't always give mercy. That's often how we can respond. You see, mercy is hard to do. In some ways, 
it's unnatural. It's not a natural thing to do. If somebody hurts me, I mean, here they relate it to, to debt. Jesus relates it to debt. He talks about the kingdom of God. It's like a man who, who was trying to settle his debts. It's hard to do to be merciful. And it's hard to do because there's an element where it's not natural, it's supernatural. If somebody hurts me, I want revenge. I don't want forgiveness, I want revenge. I will live with justice, just about. But justice isn't necessarily something I can give. What I can give is mercy. I don't, I don't give justice, I give mercy to people. So here, mercy is a very difficult thing to do. Justice is something that can be brought in. Justice is when you get the right response, the fair response. It can be related to equality and fairness. And in our world, we, we talk a lot about justice. Although I don't think God's view of justice is necessarily the same as ours. It, we talk a lot about justice. Mercy is different to justice. Mercy is personal. It's harder to do. It's not just this global thing of giving people what they don't deserve. This is me letting go. This is me having been hurt by you going, I refuse to allow that to come between us. I refuse to hold you to account for that. I will not keep a record of that wrong. That's mercy. That's much more difficult to do. In fact, it's a supernatural act, which is why it's part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. It often involves forgiveness. Not always, but often it does. You see, the difference between anger, justice, and mercy is this. Anger is what normal people do. Yeah? Revenge. Anger. You hurt me, I get angry with you, and I want to respond in a particular way. Justice, I'm not belittling justice, but justice is what good people do. Good people look for justice. They don't look to revenge for themselves. They look for justice. Mercy is what godly people do. Because you cannot be merciful without God's help. Mercy is on a different scale. It leads to a number of benefits. It leads to a new level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit when you're able to extend mercy. It leads to God's pleasure and his blessing, as Matthew 5 tells us. And also you become a vessel of God's blessing when you're able to show mercy. And you have that reciprocal arrangement where as I show mercy, I receive mercy. As I receive mercy, I show mercy. One of the reasons it's so important for us to learn to show mercy, one of the reasons it should characterize us as Christians, that we should cling to it with all our hearts is this. If you are not merciful, you will judge. If you are unable to show mercy, you will show something and it will be judging. You will judge people who you cannot show mercy to. And one of the saddest things about Christianity, as a, really as a faith, is we can be very judgmental. It's not difficult for Christians to become judgmental. It's not difficult for us to judge people. It's not difficult to us to listen to people and go, why have you done, what, what, why? 
you were there on Tuesday night, Phil talked a little bit about listening skills and, and the fact that one of our issues is we struggle with judging. We can struggle with judging. And so if I don't cling to mercy, that's where I will go. That's the opposite. If I'm not merciful to you, I will judge. Now, there's a positive side to how Christians live, and it's this. As Christians, we live in the light of God and his ways. We have opened ourselves up to God. Yeah? We have examined our hearts. We've allowed him to examine our hearts and, and we've looked at life and, and, and sort of tried to consider our ways as the Bible tells us to do that. But the truth is, most people don't live like that. Most people don't live in the light of God's commands. Most people don't live in that type of way. People, let's be honest, are spiralling to hell without a second thought. They're not considering their ways. When Jesus says, consider your ways, most people don't consider their ways. And therefore, they can actually appear far more merciful. If, well, if that's how they want to live, they can live like that. Yeah, I'm not going to judge them. If you want to live like that, you can live like that. And that's often the way that people respond to stuff. But for the Christian, that's not how we respond to stuff. We consider our ways. We examine our ways. Just a, a really sort of simple example. Where Pauline and I were involved in a in a video for a, a marriage preparation course called Marriage by Design. And over at the Ritzy, they, they came and they interviewed us and uh, we talked a little bit about marriage. And what it was is it, they were producing a marriage preparation course for people who didn't go to church. Because what they discovered was most people who do any marriage prep are Christian. Most people don't do marriage prep of any sort. Yeah? If you think about your friends who aren't Christian, Often, the thing that holds them together, I remember having friends when, when I was working, and I remember her saying, oh, yeah, the, 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 thing, that, the thing that me and my sort of partner have got together, the, the, really, the biggest thing we got together is our mortgage. Yeah? Or, is, you know, or the fact that we've got, we've got children. Or the fact that, you know, he's really nice to me, or, or whatever. And often, the way they ended up living together was, well, I was over there every night anyway, I just moved in. And that's how it begins. Now, the Christian doesn't do that. Well, not the Christian who's seeking to follow God. The Christian doesn't do that. The Christian goes, oh, God, is this the right person for me? Is this your will? God, I want your, your way. God, I'm looking at your word. I'm submitting myself. How is it? How do you want me? That's what we do. Christians examine themselves. They consider their ways. The danger is, if we don't learn to show mercy, we take all that examination all that stuff that we do, and we put it on other people. And we go, oh, really? You mean you didn't? You mean? What? And we judge people by the very standards that we now live by, even though we have received mercy. We have had revelation. We understand things that most people don't do, but we judge them according to our ways. And that's what happens if you can't show mercy to people. If you haven't learned to show mercy, you will judge people. You'll judge people that you know, and you'll judge people that you don't know. And you'll judge them according to all this stuff that you do, all this self-examination, all this considering your ways, all this seeking God's way, you will judge them according to that. And that is not what we're here to do. We're not here to judge people in that way. Don't judge, 
show mercy. So the challenge for us is not to take that thoughtful, considered approach and judge other people with it. The challenge for us is to actually be able to show mercy, and we can show mercy in a way that no one else can because we understand mercy in a way that no one else does. So for the Christian, the response to hurt and pain and abuse and being let down and all those t- being rejected, all those things, the response of the Christian should be very different. It should not be the same. We can't simply say to ourselves, we're only human, I mean, come on, give us a break. God's gracious, he loves us. I know God loves us, <laughs> yeah? But if we do not stand different, what, what sort of witness is that to anyone? I mean, you can witness and tell people about Jesus and use words, and you can get the Bible out and you can show them three ways to life and all that sort of stuff. But if they don't see, oh my goodness, these Christians, have you seen how they, they're merciful? I don't get that. I don't understand that. How is it that they respond like that when people have hurt them? Well, we go, do you know what? It's not us. It's just that we've received mercy from God and my desire is that actually I want to try and please God. That's what I'm living for. I don't, you know, you can live for those things, but I'm not living for those things. I'm living for these things. And that's what drives me, you know, pursuing something else. I know I could do really well in my career and I want to do really well in my career, but you know what? I'm not pursuing that. That's a massive testimony today. A massive testimony to people around us. And as I say, this fifth beatitude is a test for us those of us who say we want to be authentic, those of us who say we want to pursue, uh, we want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, the test is this. Can you show mercy? Because showing mercy can be a breakthrough act for us. It breaks us through to another level. It breaks us through to a point where you won't need to go around trying to witness to people. People will come to you and go, what is it? Why did you not respond to them in the why? What is that about? We've got, we've got to raise the bar for ourselves. Mercy is also something that we need to be first at. You see, we get this situation in marriage. The Bible tells us husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. And you go, well, okay, if he loves me, I will submit to him. If she submits to me, I will. No, be first. Your wife submit to your husband love. You don't play the game. Yeah, well, you know, she didn't, there was no, there was no, you know, I'm not, no, don't play games. Life isn't a game in that sense. Be first, always be first. Be first to submit, be first to love, be first to say sorry, be first to show mercy, be first to comfort, be first to forgive. Don't wait for others. Because mercy is closer to godliness than you think. So just in summary, really, in in response, the question is this. Who do you need to show mercy to today? Who do you need to show mercy to? Whose life and ways are you judging? To whom are you holding on to a list of wrongs? Whose sin can you not forgive or forget? These are challenging questions that I think we need to face as we look at blessed are the merciful for they will be shown 
mercy. Who do I need to show mercy to today if I am going to receive mercy? Don't be mistaken into thinking that you can hold on to wrongs in your heart towards God, towards someone, and still walk closely with God. You can't. You can't. Don't think to yourself, because you wake every morning and you pray, oh yeah, I, I don't like that person, because, boom, boom, boom. Don't think to yourself that it doesn't matter. It does. It does. Don't think to yourself that your relationship with God is so independent and separate and different that it doesn't matter about anyone else. I can still commune with him and it's all the same and it's all wonderful. It's not. If you are holding and harboring anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and you are being unmerciful over here, this is not as great as you think. You might think it's great, but you're mistaken if that's what you think. Mercy is a practical expression of love. Second thing to say in response, don't sell yourself short. You are not only human. Don't sell yourself short. Because as Christians, we can sell ourselves short and we can, we can be so keen to be alongside everyone else and to identify with people that we, we almost just become human again. We take off our identity in Christ and we say, you know, I'm just human like you and we just do the same thing and we're all in the same boat. And there is, I understand why we do that. You know, sometimes we can appear elitist and we certainly mustn't do that. And showing mercy doesn't pr promote that. But we can sort of justify that we do the same things that everyone else does. Oh, I got really angry there. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh. We can justify it. And when we're at work, we don't look any different because we don't sound any different. We just say the same thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the boss, the boss. We do the same thing. But don't sell yourself short. One of the things that I've always tried to do, and I've always tried to do this in my marriage, and I've always tried to do it, although I find it a real challenge, is though at times I don't make the standard or reach the bar, though at times I think, I'm thinking, oh, God, I, I can't do that. I struggle with that. What I really try not to do is just move the goalposts and change things and simply go, well, God, understand, you know, we live in a world that's really hard. We just, just bring it down a bit. Oh, I feel a bit better now. I really try not to do that, to move things, because it helps. The reason we're not the same as everyone else just, just so we know, I'm not just putting that on you. You think, oh my goodness, and you're just putting that on me. The reason we're not the same is, as everyone else is this. It's as I said before. The average unbeliever does not have the spirit of God inside of them. The average unbeliever does not have the commands of Jesus in their hearts. The average unbeliever does not desire to please God like you do. The average unbeliever does not have a clear understanding of what it is to be Christian. The average unbeliever knows none of these things. But you do. You do know these things. Therefore, we are to live like these things in order that, first of all, this is the theology of self-interest. Actually, it goes better with us when we do this. But secondly, it's a much, much better witness to people if we live this way. 1 Corinthians 13 is a good example of what I'm trying to say. And I'm just going to read it out to you. 1 Corinthians 13, and you'll know this. It's about love. 
And it starts at the, the end of chapter 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but always trust, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. That passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians, written to the church by Paul, is often read at weddings. And you don't need to be a Christian to have it read, because it's just a beautiful piece of literature. The difference is this. To the unbeliever, when it's read at a wedding, it's a nice piece of poetry. It's just a beautiful piece of literature. Oh, how did he manage to? Oh, what a wonderful way of writing. To the Christian, it's a philosophy of life. It's a very, very different thing. We believe that living that is how we're meant to live, that love keeps no record of wrongs. I don't just say, oh, this is just a wonderful phrase. Where did Paul Turner get those turns of phrase from? No, I'm like, oh, God, let me love like that because that's how you love. That's how we are to love one another. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It rejoices with the truth. We live in a world where the truth is often suppressed or hidden or kept in dark places. Love rejoices with the truth. For us, it's a way of life. It's not a piece of poetry to be framed and put on your wall in your first house after you got married and it was read there. It's a way of life. It's different. It's a gracious command for us to follow and to live out. So the question, shouldn't we be different? Really? I know we live in a world, I know all the stuff that goes on in the world, all the pressures that there are, all the things we can enjoy, there's nice weather, we can go out and do stuff and do stuff, but shouldn't we be different? Really? Godliness is not humanness and a little better. If we've reduced it to that, we've missed something. It's not humanness just a little better. People are friendly. Christians are just a bit more friendly. It's, it's not that. It's a supernatural living, and it's what we're called to. We don't lower our standard of attainment. 
We just recognize the standard of attainment is higher than we are able to achieve for ourselves. And we submit to the Holy Spirit and say, would you work this in me? Because I cannot do it. I cannot do it. And we do that rather than lots more effort. Rather than focusing on one thing. We do that. We say, God, I cannot do this. But I recognize your ways are not my ways. And I want to live by your ways. So the challenge for us, because this is about being merciful, because it's about coming to the point where I handle my hurts and my pain and my stuff and my difficulty very different to other people around me. I do, because I be Christian. And when I be Christian, I show mercy. I don't show mercy because I'm suddenly very mature. I show mercy because I recognize that, oh, God says, if I show mercy, he will be merciful to me. That's why I do it. I go to him. I ask him to help me in these things. So I go back to that question. Who do you need to show mercy to? Who do you need to show mercy to today? If you want to receive mercy. Who do you need to give to if you want to receive? Who do you need to show love to if you want to receive love? Let's pray. Father, we just say in these moments, we, those of us who know you and love you, we say that we want to live your way. Lord, that's the deep cry of our hearts, is to live your way, is to recognize the favor of God in our lives, on us as a people, on me as an individual. And God, my prayer is that you would help me to live according to the ways that you would have me live. And this morning I pray that we would respond because we so hunger and thirst for righteousness that we will do whatever it takes in order that that doesn't get compromised. I won't allow myself to live with an unmerciful heart which compromises my pursuit of godliness. It compromises my pursuit of righteousness. I won't allow myself to do that. I will continually seek to live your way. I will jealously protect it, Lord. I will jealously hold on to it because we covet it so much. Lord, I pray that we would be such a people. And I pray, Father, that what will characterize this church, Lord, in a place of so much compromise and confusion and sinful behaviors, what would characterize this church would be merciful behaviors, would be a loving of the truth, would be your will, not our will being done, would be forgiveness and grace. Father, I speak those over us. Lord, I pray that this will be a church of people who are very successful in everything they turn their hands to, but God, we won't be a church that pursue those things. We won't pursue the career we won't pursue the nice life of the husband and or the wife and the nice house and the children and we'll go wherever we need to do to get it. God, I pray we would be a people that really look to you, that we would trust you, God, that we would change our expectations for life and we would say, do you know what? I'm going to change how I view this and I'm going I'm to hunger and thirst for him 
and believe that as I do that, everything else will be added. And also believe that as I do that, I will be filled. I'll be satisfied. So I pray that for us, God, as your people in this place. I pray that these next two weeks where as churches in Brixton, we pray, oh God, would you move? Oh God, would you move powerfully among us? Lord, I pray for every person here to engage and to find you to be faithful. God is faithful. And that, Lord, our testimony at the end of these two weeks is, oh, God answers prayer and God is faithful. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.